Hi there. So joining us is Alex from The Right Place, the experts on all things moving locally. And uh, what we've got uh, today in particular is quite a hot topic, I think we'd all agree, especially given the fact that we're pretty much in budget season, or at the end of it anyway. Um, the tenant fees bill. Now, if you've been reading the headlines and you heard the announcement that we might not have to pay tenant fees anymore, you've probably gone, oh, that's really good news. Alex is going to put forward the case why it might not be as simple as that. So, hello, Alex. Hello, Neil. How are you? Fantastic, especially now that I'm going to get to the bottom of the tenant fees bill with you. <laughs> well, these things are never as simple as one might think. Absolutely not. There's always a little bit of a grey area in small print. So first of all, then, uh, talk us through what actually is the tenant fees bill? Right. Well, as you said, it's a very topical subject uh, coming to the end of, of budget season, but it's something that was actually announced by uh, the Chancellor in his autumn budget last year. Um, and what was announced was that the government would be looking to uh, put a ban on any fees charged to tenants, so that's by landlords or letting agents, for the granting or renewal of a tenancy. Now, the kind of fees that are uh, uh, normally encompassed uh, in, in, in those kind of uh, pre-tenancy fees are things like um, procuring credit and referencing checks for tenants and for their guarantors, uh, carrying out the government right to rent checks on prospective tenants, uh, protecting security deposits, preparing property inventories that protects the tenants' security deposits, drawing up tenancy agreements, providing controls for client money protection purposes, uh, check-in or check-out inspections of properties, responding to requests from tenants, that kind of thing. Now, that's by no means an exhaustive uh, list. And in fact, when we look at the list of the things that we do as letting agents uh, to, uh, uh, to act on behalf of landlords and tenants pre-tenancy, we have a checklist of, of just over 20 items. And what's interesting, actually, out of those 20, 10 of them weren't required sort of 10 years ago. You know, we do twice as much work now pre-tenancy than we did. Things like the, the right to rent checks, they've only been in for, for, for just o o over a year. Mm. Um, but there's all sorts of things that legislation has been brought in over the last decade that's added to the work that letting agents do pre-tenancy. Some of it is on behalf of the landlord, some of it's on behalf of the tenant, some of it is on behalf of landlord and tenant. Right. So... That's the tenant fees bill in a nutshell. So what the government has said is they want to um, they, they want to make it unlawful for any landlord uh, or letting agent to pass on any direct costs that they incur as a result of um, establishing a tenancy or renewing it, um, and, and therefore they, they won't be able to charge the tenants directly for those costs, whether they're, whether they're the costs that they incur or whether they're administrative costs. It also, it won't permit the landlord or the agent to require the tenant to pay a completely unconnected third party for a service. So, for example, um, there's a lot of um, uh, time being spent at the moment from the large referencing firms looking at establishing what they refer to as tenant passports. So the tenants can go and procure a tenant passport which looks at their creditworthiness and, and, and employment, uh, current, current and, and, and um, historic employment, um, and, and provide a rating form they can then take to landlords or letting agents. But it, it, the bill is in its draft form at the moment, and it's actually, um, it states that it will outlaw the requirement for that. So it, even if the landlord and the letting agent aren't being paid anything, the, the, the government has said they don't want the tenants to pay anything, um, whether even if it's to, to somebody else. Um, there's also a few other things that the tenant fees bill is looking to do. It, it, it will, it's looking to limit the amount of security deposit that um, landlords or agents can, can require. Uh, and in the draft bill, it says it will limit it to a maximum of six weeks. Now, six weeks is pretty much a sort of industry standard for right. security deposits. And, and, and you know, 
one of the reasons why it's actually pretty bad is, is because there are a whole raft of circumstances under which uh, a tenant or, or, or the landlord might like that security deposit to be higher. Um, and the, the, the example that springs to mind is tenants with pets. Right. You know, of course. If, if if you if you're happy to allow tenants with pets and and, and you you know you perhaps you meet the pet and the landlord is quite happy for that, quite often they take a higher security deposit to protect against damage caused by pets. But you know, it will be limited to six weeks. And so traditionally, we might ask, say, two months worth um, rather than six weeks. It's looking to uh, uh, to um, uh, make that unlawful. So what it's actually looking to allow to be charged is the rent. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, a, a holding deposit. So when a, a tenant first um, views a property, they can pay a holding deposit of up to one week's rent. Um, and that is refundable under certain circumstances, but not refundable under others. Um, there's a security deposit as well, which is we've, we've just mentioned, up to a maximum of six weeks. Um, the tenant could also be made responsible to pay for uh, fees or charges as a result of their breach of contract. So mm-hmm. fees for late payments, damages, that kind of thing, um, or for any management services that are carried out as a result of the tenant's breach of contracts, um, you know, lost key, replacing lost keys, um, that sort of thing. Okay. So why then is the government actually looking to create this legislation? Ah, well, that's a sort of million-dollar question, <laughs> isn't it? Well, look, what, what the government has said, in its own words, the government has said it wants to do this to help improve transparency, affordability, and competition in the private rental market. However, what we're going to figure out during this conversation is whether actually it's going to achieve those aims. Right. I'm, not, I'm not convinced. But in, <laughs> in essence, there is a lot of political pressure on, on the government to bring in this ban. In fact, um, before the last round of elections, every major political party had a tenant fees ban included in their manifesto. Um, there's been a lot of lobbying from tenant support groups like Shelter and Generation Rent for quite some time. Um, and this is in fairness, is actually just the latest in a series mm. of uh, pieces of legislation or attacks on the private rented sector. We've talked before about um, the Section 24 uh, tenant tax, um, the increase in stamp duty, uh, removal of wear and tear allowance, that kind of thing. And and um, I believe, as, as, as many people do believe, that actually the, um, the, the, the impetus for this particular government to do that is because they obviously want to, they favour home ownership. So they want the private rented sector to reduce, to bolster home ownership, which, you know, mm. are, are laudable aims. But one thing that this always seems to forget is that there'll always be people who can't afford to buy mm. yeah. or don't want to buy. Right. And they're not in a position in their life to buy or they're very mobile um, or they just simply aren't going to be able to, to get a mortgage. And one of the big unintended consequences of a piece of legislation like this is that it's it's done at the expense of the people who are probably going to suffer the most mm. as a result of any small changes in a market. Um, now, what I do want to say is that actually just because the political parties are behind this, please don't necessarily just think automatically it's a good thing. Don't yeah. be fooled. Um, personally, I feel that a lot of politicians are probably out of touch uh, and they don't really understand markets when they make these, these kind of decisions. I think this is a great example of that. Um, and this, this topic was actually debated um, in September of this year. It was debated in, in Parliament, and many of the MPs that spoke in it were, were in favour of, of such a ban. Um, but there were two two statements made by by two MPs that I thought I'd, I'd highlight to you because it really sort of shows how um, out of touch um, I, I feel that MPs are in, in their support for something like this. Um, 
Labour MP for Mitchell and Morden um, declared her support for the ban and to reinforce her argument, she described the cost of renting as extortionate. She went on to say that since 2010, the cost of private rents has risen by 22%, making tenants increasingly reliant on support for the state. But what she neglected to say is, in the last seven years, inflation is... 23%. <laughs> so actually, rents have increased by less than inflation since 2010. Right. And interestingly enough, I saw some statistics today that have come out from um, one of the largest rental indexes that shows that over the last 12 months, rents have only increased uh, nationally, on average, mm. by just over 1.5%. Wow. And we've currently got inflation at 3%. So the argument that rents are increasing forever, you know, outpacing inflation, just mm. isn't true. It isn't true in the it's long nonsense. term. Yeah. It isn't true. It's true even in the in the medium term. So, you know, I felt that actually for an MP to either not know that inflation exists, what level it is, or just to omit to include it as part of the the, the argument, mm. um, probably because it's damaging to, to the argument, <laughs> again, just shows that actually. They were a little bit out of touch. Now, interestingly, in the same period, 2010 to 2017, where inflation was 23%, private rents rose by 22%, the cost of renting a council house in England rose by almost 30%. Wow. Okay. So that puts it into context. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was another MP as well who, uh, in declaring his support for the ban during this debate, said um, there's a big difference between a normal market and the housing market, a market for a service of primary importance to the continuation of human life putting roofs over people's heads. Yeah, he's right. But then he then went on to compare the private rental sector to the supermarket industry, which also supplies goods that are of primary importance to human life, <laughs> food and toilet roll and things like that. Um, and, and he actually said, someone who goes into a supermarket doesn't get charged the supermarket's advertising and transport costs on top of the price of the groceries. No, we don't. But let's assume that you can walk into a supermarket today, mm. fill your trolley up full of groceries, and leave without paying, and the supermarket can't stop you. Right. And let's assume that you can keep going back every week, filling your trolley up with groceries, and keep leaving without paying, and the supermarket can't stop you until you've done it for two months, <laughs> and then they can go take you to court and apply for a, 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 a judgment to, to prevent you from going into their supermarket, and then have to enforce it with, with bailiffs. And in that whole time, they have to continue allowing you to walk into the supermarket, fill your trolley up with groceries, and leave without paying. Mm. Now, if that was law, like it is in the private rented sector, right. I think the supermarkets would look to change their business models. Right. So I think it's fair to, to say that where credit is being provided, like in the private rented sector, um, that there always has to be an element of looking to the customer to prove mm. their ability to afford that credit and their credit worthiness before you accept them as a customer. Because right. once you've accepted them as a customer, if they stop paying, it's a long, arduous and expensive route. So to actually to say that the housing market is completely different from any other market and then compare it to something like the supermarket industry, again, just shows that a little bit out of touch. Um, and what makes me um, even more worried um, about hearing statements like this from MPs is, is, let's not forget, these are the people who are debating and deciding our future yeah. and what's going to happen in you know, a year and a bit's time with Brexit. Right. That's worrying. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> As if we weren't political enough before. I mean, we brought the B word into it. Oh, Alex, you're on one today. So, I mean, when do we think, because, I mean, obviously, uh, I think you, you mentioned as well uh, off the air, um, Within two days of the Queen's speech, you had people phoning up saying, you're not going to charge us tenancy fees anymore. Now, obviously, that's not how it works. So talk us through, when do you think this legislation is actually going to take effect? OK, well, like we said, it was actually mentioned in the autumn budget in November 2016. 
okay? Um, but it was then reinforced in the Queen's speech in June. And what was between November 2016 and June 2017, we didn't hear um, anything from tenants uh, about this subject. Straight after the Queen's speech, we were noticing that it was a question that was arising um, sometimes before any other question about the property, about the local schools, or you know, about anything, was about fees. And um, after a period of time, we thought, well, really, this must be as a result of the Queen's speech being so popular, it being pr promoted so widely, and, and it being quoted in the newspapers. Um, and therefore, I, I think at that point, uh, a lot of uh, tenants, or anyone really, landlords as well, felt, oh, actually, this has already been passed, this is mm. already law. But it's a piece of primary legislation that the government's going to have to bring in, and the timetable for bringing in primary legislation is quite drawn out. Um, a spokesman for the Department of Communities and Local Government did say quite recently that you know, it has to follow the government's normal process and that will take some time. So therefore I think the industry really is expecting that it'll be probably this time next year, October 2018, um, before the ban will come in. And I think everyone in the industry is quite convinced that it's going to come in, despite whether it's a whether one thinks it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think you know mm. we, we seem to see that the government is so committed to it that they're going to be bringing it in. Mm. Um, and the the draft bill was published earlier on this month, so right uh, or, or last month in fact. I think it was the end of October, um, uh, and uh, and it, it basically is in the form that we would expect it to have been. So I think they're. Um, Plodding ahead at the, the, the pace that they, 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 they can uh, work these things through um, through Parliament. So it's not being ignored, it's not being sidelined. They're definitely uh, moving ahead with it. And um, so I think the agenda for implementation probably is going to be that sort of October 2018. Don't quote me on that specifically. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to put any money on I'll it. I'll be phoning you up. It's October, Alex. What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> Let's expect that sometime within the next year, okay. it probably will be written into law. So it's happening. October 2018. It is going to happen. Not necessarily in October. 2018 but it is going to happen so what is going to happen when it happens okay well the the likely results of the tenants fees but well, I, I believe um, are quite clear but just for one second let's put the arguments to one side of whether anyone you know whether we think that, that an outright ban is right or it's fair or, or proportionate because the obvious question is such a ban is going to place increased costs on landlords and agents so whether we think it's a right thing or, or wrong thing to do, we know that that's uh, a consequence of such a ban. So faced with higher costs to fill an empty property, how are landlords or agents going to meet that extra cost? Now, the, the one thing that absolutely landlords and agents are going to be able to charge tenants, even after the, such a bill comes in, is rent. Mm. And it's really going to be one of the only things that a tenant can be charged. So as a result of increased costs, it essentially means that the rents are probably going to go up to cover it. Now, this is actually something that the government acknowledged shortly after announcing it in last year's budget, um, really? because they put yeah they they put a consultation together for a, um, a earlier on this year, and they actually said in the preamble, you know, that the likelihood of such a ban is, is that it will put upward pressure on rents. But interestingly enough, that consequence of a fees ban was also repeated by the housing charity Shelter. And they've been campaigning for this for quite some time. So mm. even Shelter believe that a, um, a consequence of banning this in England will be that rents will go up at, disproportionately as a result of, of, of such a ban. Now, we don't have to look too far, mm. and too, too, too far away and too far ago to see 
what might happen as a result of a fees ban, because this was bought in in Scotland in 2012. Mm. And um, worryingly, you know, at a time in, in Scotland in 2012, when they were going through a uh, double-digit recession, um, and they were experiencing the, the collapse of the North Sea oil industry, which had a hugely damaging effect on house prices mm. um, uh, and rents uh, across some of the major cities like Aberdeen. At the same time as all that was going on, and it was probably therefore putting downward pressure on costs and downward pressure on rents in the 12 months after the ban was bought in in scotland rents went up about six to eight percent yet in 2012 before it was bought in rents went up zero (laughs) percent so to go from zero percent immediately before a ban to six to eight percent immediately after the ban at the same time as there's a lot of other things that are putting downward pressure on rents you know you don't need a crystal ball to see that actually that's probably going to be um, the outcome of, of, of such a ban. The, the government the knows it, yeah. the shelter know it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, for, for, for me, I think the biggest concerns of, of these, this kind of legislation is the unintended consequences. And we said that rental increases, um, whether they're unintended, they, they are acknowledged that it's likely that, that that will happen. But a lot of the... Um, consequences that no one's really I don't feel as uh, apart from the industry I don't think anyone mm. in government has given too much thought um, about is what else could happen okay we accept the fact that rents will probably go up but what else could happen as a result of, of such a fees ban mm. um, now agents uh, landlords but primarily agents professional agents have to do a lot of work on behalf of tenants prior to, to starting up a tenancy and as I said out of the 20 or so things on our checklist only 10 of those um, have come in in the last uh, few years so it's not just things like credit checks it's also the government right to rent checks um, preparing tenancy agreements preparing professional inventories to protect security deposits so after a ban these kind of costs are going to be borne by a letting agent because he can't ask for a contribution from the tenant um, and therefore the likelihood is that these costs will need to be passed on to landlords, which means that if landlords are experiencing an increase in costs, right. something that they don't feel they're responsible for paying for, yeah. they're going to want uh, rents to go up. But as a result of not being able to charge for some of these fundamental things, I feel that the, the industry is going to be looking at the um, surefire bet tenants a lot more positively, and they're going to look to perhaps sideline some of the more marginal cases uh, of tenants. So, for example, tenants who find it difficult to prove their income, maybe they're self-employed or on zero-hours contracts, uh, or maybe their employment is very seasonal, it's very difficult at any point in year to look at what their income is at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So low-income tenants, tenants that find it difficult to to demonstrate a certain level of of income, you know, I think that the industry is going to look at that and say, well, actually, if we go and pay ourselves... To, to check you out and you fail, we can't ask you to pay for it. So that's lost money. Right. So we're going to go after the surefire bets. We're going to go after the, the people who, you know, on the basis of, of, of a handful of questions, you say, well, these people are definitely earning enough money. They're on, you know, uh, they've got good, good jobs. They're secure jobs. It's going to be easy to demonstrate. We're going to focus um, on, on those kind of tenants. Right. And if that kind of thing is at the expense of, of um, everyone else in the industry, it can't be a good thing mm. because let's face it at the moment the tenants that are on good salaries don't struggle with paying for, for, for <laughs> agents or, or landlords funny spends. that yes. <laughs> it's the ones that are um, have an irregular or, or a low income they're the ones that will be struggling to pay the fees at the moment and if things get worse for them rents go up and their access to the private rental sector reduces that can't be a good thing now I don't think 
that that fits in with the government's agenda of improving the financial situation stability for renting families. Right. Because not all families are on, you know, if you've got two, two young professionals renting a house, a, a couple, they could both be earning really good salaries uh, and could easily afford the rent. With families, often you've only got one breadwinner um, and their outgoings are higher. Mm. So when you look at their income versus their outgoings, it's a, it's a lot finer, it's a lot tighter than it is a, a, perhaps you know, a, a working professional couple. And I don't want our customers to be in a situation where we're having to, to say, look, you know, we'd, we'd love to, to try and find you somewhere, but the problem is is that the moment we've paid to reference you, we can't recover that money from you. Right. We think, you know, th- that you might fail, so we're just not going to do it. Right. Um, and it, it's the, the problem is actually made f- worse by the fact they're looking to, to limit the um, security deposit down to only six weeks because we have the opportunity now if a tenant is looking borderline or perhaps even fails um, a, a credit reference, we can ask for a guarantor that we then have to reference, or we might be able to ask for a higher security deposit um, or a higher upfront rent payment. And so we often find that people who, especially who find it difficult to demonstrate their, their income and their affordability, but actually can afford it. Yeah. They do have savings. They can afford to pay higher, higher amounts upfront in order to access it. So we're going to have the rug pulled away from under us because it's not right. just that we can't, um, ask for them to pay for the services we're conducting on their behalf but we also have no other backup strategies to use to try and cater for, for, for those kind of customers so low income tenants uh, tenants that find it difficult to prove a regular income I think they'll suffer the other um, uh, part of the tenant uh, uh, market that's going to suffer i believe are non-eu and non-eea nationals right because i mentioned the government right to rent checks and these came in sort of about a year ago and um, landlords and agents are legally responsible, and the penalty is, by the way, you know, high fines if, if, if you don't do this, mm. to actually check that the tenant has a right to rent. Now, if they're a, a British passport holder or European passport holder, um, that's all we need to do. We need to check yeah. that. We need to take, take a copy of that document and keep it on file. That's fine. But if they're not from the EU or the, the EEA, then the checks are, are a lot far more rigorous. Right. And... Um, most professional agents and most professional landlords will use a proprietary checking service for passports that they don't recognise. So we might feel that we'd recognise a European passport, but how, how do you know it's fake or not? Right. So we have to actually pay specialist agencies to look at them and cross-check serial numbers with home office databases and things like that to tell us that they're genuine. So we've had... Um, uh, this summer, we've had um, prospective tenants from America and, and, and Japan, um, from other parts outside the European Union. And it's a lot more difficult and it involves a lot more time and cost mm. to check their right to rent. So again, if we can't recover that money, mm. it's going to favour the people with the European passport, who it's very easy to demonstrate that. Right, right. Um, we also mentioned, lastly, um, pet-owning tenants. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pet owner myself. Um the last thing you want to do is, is be forced to leave behind a pet because you're moving home or moving into rented accommodation or whatever. You know, the the the, the tools that we've got in our toolbox to deal with that, like mm. asking for increased security deposits and, and things like that, if they're taken away from us, again, is that tenant group <sighs> yeah. going to uh, suffer as a result of it? So I, I can see these unintended consequences. And when you add up all those consequences, it's far going to outweigh any potential benefit a financial benefit, which I don't think there will be a financial benefit. I think it's going to outweigh any of the other benefits. Um, so I would very much like government to listen to, to these kind of ones. I've made them. I've made them to, to my MP. Um, and they were, in fact, voiced in the debate that we mentioned from, from September this year. 
I, don't, I see it falling on deaf ears. I, ho- I hope I'm wrong. I mean, the next question I had for you, you've pretty much answered it about tenant fees bill being a good thing for tenants and landlords. But I mean, give, give us, you know, give us a reinforcement, I guess, Alex, you know, t- talk us through that. Well, OK, so to set my stall out, yeah, I don't think a tenant fees outright ban um, is a good thing for, mm. for a lot of the reasons that uh, that I've already said. Um, and you, know, you might say, well, you would say that, Alex, wouldn't you? You're a landlord. You would say that, wouldn't you, Alex? I would say it. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely would say it. Um, but for all, all the reasons I've put forward, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's too many potential downsides to this to outweigh any potential upsides. And I'm not convinced there are any potential upsides, really, not for the industry as a whole. Um, but the main reason why um, I'm not for it, not actually... Um, not in, in, because I'm a, a landlord and agent, but perhaps in spite of me being a landlord and a letting agent. What I can see, therefore, is that um, if rents go up as a result of tenants not paying pre-tenancy fees, then in, in fairness, the only winners are going to be the people that move very often mm-hmm. because they're going to be paying uh, f- we're paying fees. So instead of paying fees more frequently, um, the average uh, tenancy at the moment across the UK is, is 4.3 years. So instead of paying agents' fees or fees to landlords once every 4.3 years. They might be paying it once every six months or 12 months because they mm. move more frequently. They're going to be the winners. Mm. Now, in fairness, the majority of people that move more frequently tend to be more affluent. They tend to be more mobile for their job and that kind of thing. Right. So they're the people that can afford to pay the fees <laughs> anyway. Um, so it's going to benefit them. The people that are going to lose out are going to be the kind of people that we like working with, the kind of tenants that are our mainstay, mm. which are families, people that stay put longer. They're the people who would pay... Um, fees um, far less frequently under the you know, under the current normal system. Yeah. Um, but if their rent increases, they're going to suffer as a result of that far more. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, I, I, I don't want to have customers that struggle to afford the products that we're selling. Mm. I don't want to have customers paying more than once for a service that they only receive once. So if they pay a fee for a service that they receive once, mm. and it's not weighted on the rent mm. then it's fair if it's weighted on the rent then the people that stay put suffer the mm. people that move more frequently benefit and like i said i don't think that fits in with the government's agenda of improving the situation for families that rent it just doesn't more points i want to make on there okay um but that issue about customers only paying once i mean that's an interesting uh, idea actually about paying for for goods more than once and something that you know most people wouldn't ordinarily think about that as being a thing but yeah that that is quite an interesting point i mean you know just talk us through a little bit more in terms of paying for the goods twice i mean where does that leave the tenant um i think it leaves them worse off and like I, said, I think the majority of, of tenants will be worse off as a, a result of, of an outright uh, fees ban but um so what we're saying is is that if, if tenants pay a certain level of costs mm. for the landlord or the agent to conduct a service on their behalf before the tenancy um, is granted, then they'll pay for it. It's a service they're receiving once. They only pay for it once. If it's loaded onto the rent, it's going to cost them an awful lot more the longer they stay put. And mm. again, that's contrary to what everyone wants. Everyone wants tenants that stay put, pay the rent, look after property, happy, bring up their families in the homes. That's what that's what landlords want. That's what mm. tenants want. That's what everyone wants. So it's going to damage those kind of tenants. So I actually feel that it's perfectly reasonable to ask someone to pay a fee for a service that they receive. But I don't feel that it's fair to ask them to make ongoing payments for a service that they're no longer receiving 
because other people are receiving that service more frequently without paying right. their bills. Right. Um, it, I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect tenants to demonstrate their creditworthiness and ability to afford the rent. So things like referencing costs, you know, I've always believed it's, it, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to ask for tenants to uh, sure. pay those, but they only pay it at the point they need that service. Right. They don't continue to pay it. And things like inventory costs, you know, there's... Um, Interestingly, I, I, ju- I just read in the last week that the Association of Independent Inventory Clerks, who, by the way, we, we use members of the AIIC to conduct our inventories, but they're lobbying government to actually make it law that landlords have to provide a professional inventory at the start of a tenancy. Now, there's actually there's a couple of reasons why that's just not needed, because actually if a landlord doesn't provide an inventory, he's got no basis to make deductions at the end of a tenancy. Right. So the, the common sense approach, the conventional wisdom at the moment, is you provide a professional inventory, and that protects the, uh, the, the, the landlord from uh, tenant causing damage, for example, to things that weren't damaged at the start of the tenancy, but it also protects the tenant from the landlord being able to say, I've got a photograph here that shows that that, that wall wasn't damaged, and and now it is, and perhaps that photograph was dated a year before they moved in. Right. So it protects both parties, and, and inventories sure. aren't cheap. You know, typically, the cost of an inventory for a sort of average three-bedroom house is about 150 quid. Right. So we've always said, well, if, if, if the landlord and tenant both share those costs, one pays on the way in, one pays on the way out, you know, it's mm. going to be the same cost. So we tend to say to the tenant, well, your fees cover your t- inventory on the way in. The landlord then pays us to, to, uh, to procure the services of an independent inventory clerk to do it on the way out. Well... If the tenant fees ban comes in and those costs can't be apportioned between landlord and tenant, there is a worry in the industry that landlords will just say, well, I'll I'll take a gamble. The tenant seems like a good person. They probably won't cause damage. I won't bother with an inventory. I perhaps won't even take a security deposit. Okay, now that's going to damage the members of the Association of Independent Inventory Clerks. It's going to damage their business, isn't it? Right, of course. So at a point where they're seeing that their business might be damaged, they're starting to lobby government and say, please make it law that landlords <laughs> have to have one of these um, professional inventories. So, you know, it, it's, one, it's one of these situations where I'm perfectly happy that we are forced to provide independent inventories. We actually do it at the moment anyway. I'm perfectly happy for the industry to be forced to do it. But the people that pay for it have to be the people that benefit from it. And tenants do benefit from a professional inventory just as much as landlords do. Right. So if the ability to ask them to pay their share of those costs is removed, right. it could lead to cutting corners, it could lead to, to declining standards. Um, but again, it's, it, these, are all, these are all the unintended consequences um, of, of, of that kind of a ban. And the last point I'd like to make about these kind of costs, from a, purely from a letting agent's point of view, is that pretty much all letting agents subscribe to one or more advertising portals. Um, I won't name them, but we all know who they are. You know, We use those to, to cast the net as wide as possible, to make sure as many tenants as possible see those. Now, the technology that we have nowadays where we can sit on the couch, looking at our phones, scrolling through the, the app for one of these, uh, these portals, you know, choosing our next home from the comfort of <laughs> our current home, yeah. you know, who pays for that service? Right. Because actually letting agents pay hefty monthly subscriptions to have that infrastructure, that technology in place to benefit tenants, to make their, their um, search for a new home easier, um, to make their ability to, to um, scroll through lots and lots of different properties, to compare them, to ask questions online um, via the app. You know, This technology only exists because letting agents pay hefty monthly subscriptions to the portals to do it. So you know, one of the arguments against a tenant fees ban that I've heard is that, well, tenants don't receive a service from a letting agent. 
well, who pays for these big portals <laughs> and the apps? It is the letting agents. So yeah. the tenants are absolutely benefiting from a service that they wouldn't have if it wasn't for letting agents. Let's forget, landlords don't actually pay these costs. They're subscription costs to agents. So the agents are funding the infrastructure for this fantastic technology, which has you know, completely revolutionised the private rented sector. Uh, and, and, and in fairness, from a tenant's perspective, is only a force for good. If it makes it easier for them to find their next home, scroll through lots of lovely photographs and floor plans, sometimes videos, Yeah, that's a good thing. Absolutely. Choice. It's all about choice, isn't it, as well? Absolutely. And being able to sort yep. of see yep. it yep. in and the 3D. government's been very, you know, very hot on, on, on choice yeah. uh, 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 over recent years, from things like healthcare and stuff like that. So, again, I think this is something that will actually be damaging to, um, to choice. So... What's the potential alternative then, Alex, in, in, your, in your mind to an outright fee ban? Well, a number of alternatives have been um, uh, discussed within the industry and those, uh, the results of those discussions have been passed to government. It was done during the consultation. It was done during the, the, the debates um, in September. One of the things that was suggested was just put, put, putting a cap on fee levels. Um, the government decided that they were against that, okay? Uh, personally, I, I'm not against the cap on fees. It's, it's probably one of the solutions. But the reason the government said they didn't like the idea of a cap on fees is because despite what the average letting agents charge, some will charge more than the average, some will charge less than the average. Mm. So they was, their fear was that if you provide a cap at, say, the average, then all the ones that are charging less than the average at the moment will say, well, we can charge a bit more then. Because the government's told us we can. Right. So it, 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 it then becomes um, the new normal level. So at the moment, the bottom of the market in terms of lettings fees will come back up to what is at the moment the average. Right. Um, and, you know, that's probably a fair assessment. If as an industry you said, no, you can't charge more than this. Oh, so you think it's fair for us to charge that? Fine, we'll charge that. We've historically charged less. Sure. But we'll now start charging that. So that's why the government doesn't like um, a cap on fees. For, for me, the problem with placing a cap on fees is that, that exact argument, where do you place it? Um, every business has got a different cost base, mm. you know, different overheads. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, we're a relatively small business. We, our overheads are relatively low. We've got a, a nice office, but it's outside of the city centre. Our overheads are low, so our fees have always been much lower. But if you've got a nice, big, glass-fronted city centre office with all the rents that accompany that, you know... Um, the businesses with, with different cost bases have to charge different amounts. Mm. And, and we can see that by you know, buying goods online versus buying goods from an independently owned shop that's selling exactly the same goods. There's always a difference in, in those prices. Yeah. So, yeah, perhaps a cap on fees isn't on its own a solution, but I think it probably, if it was used in, in, uh, in incorporation with a, uh, some other alternative solutions, and I think it, it, could, it could work. One of the solutions that I actually put to my MP, which I, I think would definitely be a step in the right direction. Um, all letting agents need to be members of a consumer redress scheme. The government has said that it will look to um, bring landlords into that category as well. So both landlords and letting agents will need to be members of a professional consumer redress scheme. Now, again, I'm, I'm not against that, actually. As a landlord, I'm more than happy to be bound by a consumer redress scheme. I'm bound as an agent, so I'm more than happy to be bound uh, as, as a landlord. I don't see that as a, as a bad thing. Anything that protects consumer rights, we all benefit from. Okay, So I think that's a good thing. If that's the case, then why don't we use the consumer redress schemes to police a cap on fees and the level of fees? Even if it's as simple as every year when you renew a membership, having to put a statement in of your cost to demonstrate why your fees are at an appropriate level. So there is an opportunity there to use the system that already exists 
to sort of police bad practice in the industry, um, to, to make sure that things that, that are seen as, as bad practice um, are weeded out. The other thing that I'm heavily in favour of, which again, I made the, the point to, to, to my MP, was why doesn't the government put its support behind these tenant passport schemes, or maybe even create their own government approved tenant passport scheme. I don't think they ever would because they'd realise how expensive it is to do. <laughs> but well, why don't they get fully behind the, the, yeah. the industry and the professional businesses that are creating these tenant passports mm. and allow tenants the choice to who they go to to buy their tenant passport from. Mm. And if that's not landlords and it's not agents, then either landlord or the agent is benefiting from, from the cost of that service. So the, the argument can't be that they are profiting mm. from the tenants heaven forbid that a business <laughs> could profit from its customers but um you know it means that the tenants can shop around so if, if one charges a hundred pound for that service and one charges 120 well go for the one that charges 100 if they're all right. uh, if they're all got the government stamp on them they'd all do the same job then go to the one that suits you right and then with that tenant's passport and bear in mind these things are all electronic they're all digital nowadays so with this evidence of the fact that you earn a certain amount of money and your credit history is good um, you can go to any landlord letting agent and say, look, there's my tenant passport. Or they, they could, you know, we could log onto a website with a, a unique number that they give us and check. So, yeah, it's absolutely fine. We now don't have to go through that process of referencing you and doing the other things that go with it. I'd be, I mean, I'm so behind that. It's, it's unbelievable. And I'll tell you why. And you won't, you're not going to believe this, but I promise you it's true. We make a loss or break even on just about every tenant fine we do. Wow. Okay. Okay. Our fees are kept as low as they are because we specifically try to break even. We try not to profit from that. Not because profit's a dirty word. It's mm. just because we want to do that job as professionally and as, as well as it can be done, but we don't want it to be a barrier to entry for mm. tenants to have to pay those fees. So actually, if you took away the responsibility for doing that job, it means myself and the other staff at the right place could be doing other work instead that perhaps right. is profitable rather than doing the work which isn't profitable and if it's being done by the right kind of uh, businesses government authorized businesses that everyone has got confidence in i think that's absolutely the way forward now that would give tenants choice that would give put competition in the industry that would drive down the costs of, of providing these kind of services the majority of the costs of procuring credit referencing and tenant referencing services isn't actually dictated by the suppliers of that service, it's dictated by the big credit control companies because they charge quite a lot of money for releasing data. Right, of course. So if that creates a lot of competition so that those big businesses have to um, get squeezed a little bit and that cost is therefore passed on through the referencing agencies, the tenant passport providers, to the tenants, then the tenants will genuinely benefit from reduced costs. They'll genuinely benefit from only being charged once for a service that they get once. Um, the tenants that stay put longer will benefit from having to do that less frequently. Tenants that move more often will pay more for the privilege. That would be great. Give tenants some more choice, give them mobility, allow them to shop around. Um, it wouldn't increase the cost base for landlords and tenants, so there would be no increased pressure on, on rents. There you go. I think I've just solved the problem. <laughs> <laughs> All very well. Is there anything anybody can do to help put your ideas forward? Well, absolutely. We all have we all have a vote. We all have a voice. Um, anyone that feels strongly about this kind of a subject, I'd urge them to speak to their MP. Um, to you know, to be completely fair to MPs, okay, they represent their constituents. 
if they're only hearing one story from their constituents, they won't know that there's another side to that story. Mm. Um, or they won't understand uh, how balanced the argument is. So, of course, because there's a lot of um, support for this kind of a ban coming from the, the, the charities like Shelter and, and Generation Rent, um, it means that the voice from, from everyone else that perhaps has got a, a slightly um, different take on things just isn't being heard. Mm. So... I appreciate that not everyone perhaps wants to go and see their MP, but you know, that's what your MPs are there for. They're here to, they're to hear your views and to make decisions on the, you know, on the balance of what they hear, what they think is the right and the fair thing to do. Um, the consultation has been and gone, unfortunately, and it was it sort of, you know, it was almost brushed under the carpet on the, the pre-election um, trail. So unfortunately, you know, there's not an opportunity for us to, to directly um, consult anymore. But you know anyone who actually thinks about this and, and feels strongly in any way, yeah, talk to your MP. Um, you know, start off by sending them an email. They all hold regular surgeries where you can drop in and you can see them and you talk talk about these things. Even if you say, look, you know, I understand that there's an argument for it, but I'm now starting to hear that there's there's an argument against it. You know, have yeah. you heard this argument? Have you given it any any consideration? And you know, put them to the test. You know, what do you think about this? Why? Why do you think it's a good thing? Why do you think this is a bad thing? Hear what they think because they should only really think what their constituents want them to think. They'll right. have their own opinions, but they really should only be putting forward to government what what they what they hear from their constituents sure. is the right way to go about things, or the majority um, of constituents that think there's the right way to go about things. So if they don't hear these arguments, in fairness, what can they do? They're not going to represent people that haven't bothered standing up and saying what they think. If somebody wants to get in touch with you and sort of talk this through with you, because obviously you're very passionate about the subject, is there course, any way yeah. that they can get hold of you and sort of debate it more with you? Yeah, of course they can. Always happy to talk to, to landlords or tenants on, on this kind of a subject. And they can reach me by, by calling the office 01908 904 And if I don't answer the phone, one of the other members of staff answers the phone. If they just explain, you know, they'd like to speak to me and, and, and the reason for it, leave some contact details, I'll get back to them. You know, perhaps we can sit down over a cup of coffee uh, and talk about these things and... You know, if there's anyone genuinely feels that they they think that these changes could affect them, whether they're landlords or tenants, definitely get in touch because we are already looking or we have already looked at ways to mitigate the cost issue of, of a fees ban to our business. The last thing we want to do is pass on increased costs to landlords. As far as I'm aware, we, we, we're perhaps even the only uh, or certainly one of the only zero upfront fees agents in Milton Keynes. And so we don't want to be passing costs on if we can avoid it. Mm. So we're looking at other um, partners for our business that provide some of the services that, let's say, traditionally have been provided, but they're doing it differently. Our existing partners are looking at changing some of their business models to um, to streamline them, to try and re- reduce costs. Um, so whilst these costs aren't, are never going to go down to zero, we feel that there probably is a way that we can absorb these costs without it affecting the service that we provide. And that's really important to us. We don't want to reduce our level of service. We mm. don't want to cut corners just simply because there isn't money to pay for these things. We need to find ways to keep, to keep ourselves at the height of our game without these kind of problems so if tenants want to speak to me and say look okay as a result of this what do you think i should be doing um more than happy to talk to me if landlords want to say look as a result of this what do you think you're going to do to to shield me from having to to pay some of these extra costs or my existing agent has told me they're going to have to pass on some of these costs what what do you think give me a call let's have a coffee let's chat about it Alex from The Right Place, thank you very much for talking to us about the tenant fees bill. It's a very complicated subject, but hopefully people Isn't will it? have got some uh, some more knowledge out of this podcast Let's today. certainly hope so. That's what we're here for. Thanks very much, Neil.